Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, April 7th, 2023. 2023. <laughs> I'm Mike Achopoli. I swear I'm not drunk. For some reason, I'm having trouble saying 2023. Oh, one thing it is is a Friday. Hey, good Friday, everyone. See what I did there? Good Friday. Good Friday. Do we celebrate Good Friday? Uh, some people do. Some people take off for Good Friday, but some people don't. Some people consider this a holiday weekend. It's not technically a holiday weekend. It's not a federal holiday, but Sunday is Easter. The Easter Bunny will be out there. The Easter Bunny will be out there protecting Joe Biden, just like last year. Remember last year when that uh, Easter Bunny got in the way and make sure he couldn't take questions from anybody? It's so pathetic. Imagine having a president where you need the Easter bunny to play interference for you when it comes to answering your questions. Oh, my. But that's where we are. That's where we are in this crazy and wacky country. All right. What else is there to talk about? Nothing else. Nothing else. What can I do? <laughs> no, there is. There's a lot to talk about. You know, I think yesterday... I spoke a little bit about the Tennessee three. First of all, before I get into the Tennessee three, Tennessee three, uh, I will talk about why I was up so damn late last night. You know, I was trying to get to sleep earlier because my sleeping schedule is totally, totally screwed up. It's not good. It's really not good. And so I was trying to get to bed earlier and I couldn't because I'm watching Fox. And just as I'm about to go to bed, they put on the, uh, there's an update from the sheriff in Florida. You know the case with the uh, three Florida teens who were shot, the three teenagers who were shot, and they were trying to find out who did it. And at first, they thought it might have been a serial killer. Then they realized it wasn't a serial killer. And it was uh, just some, you know, gang members, some very young gang members, one of them 12 years old. So one is 12, one is 17, and there's a 16-year-old who's still at large. But they had arrested the 12-year-old Christopher Dale Atkins and uh, 17-year-old Robert Leandrew Robinson. It's 16-year-old Taj Bruton, who's still on the loose. Um, but they had the press conference where the uh, sheriff, uh, Woods, Sheriff Woods, was uh, talking about the arrests. And it was a, it was a really fascinating press conference, because it wasn't just your usual dry run-of-the-mill, yeah, we found these guys and we're looking for the other one, press conference. It was a sheriff who wasn't afraid to express his feelings and his opinions about things. And a couple things he touched on was the guns. And it was so refreshing to see a sheriff talking about how no matter how many gun laws we make, these bad people will still get guns regardless. No matter how many gun laws you make, the criminals will always find a way to get guns. These three underage kids shouldn't have been able to get guns. There's laws that say if you're under 18, you can't get a gun. And they got them anyway, because the laws don't matter to people who want guns. And he also made the point that we have to stop coddling kids, which too many parents do, too many uh, people in too many uh, school officials do and too many people in the media do. He was actually talking about the media having a policy where they don't show the photos of underage 
suspects, okay, or underage criminals, because they're underage. And the, and the police officer was very pissed off about that because he said talking to the parents of the children who were who were, who were killed, they said, you know, if I had seen that photo, if I had seen the photo of these of these kids, I would make sure I look out for them and make sure my kids never associated with them. But we don't know what these people look like. We don't know what these what these thugs look like because the media won't promote their photos. They won't show their photos. The police put them out there. They legally they can. And then the media decides not to run with them because they're minors. So he was talking about this coddling of minors these days and the way they we um, schools, parents, they don't properly reprimand kids for doing bad things. They let things go too often. And he was very pissed off about that. And he said, this is what it leads to. It leads to these more violent crimes. And so he was really talking a lot about, uh, you know, uh, these, these the, the victims of juveniles, but the murders of juveniles as well. And there's a real problem here in this country where we're not properly raising our children. And when they do things that are wrong in school, that are bad, that are maybe violent or criminal, we say, oh, they're just minors they're just juveniles and that's the problem and this is a this is a sheriff talking about this and all i was thinking while i was watching this great sheriff who was very passionate he was his his emotions went from sadness to anger to frustration and i thought boy if we had a sheriff like this in major cities let's put it this way if we had a sheriff like this here in san francisco we would be in much better shape There'd be much less crime. Think about this, right? This 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 crime there that where these three kids were killed. This really affected this sheriff and touched this sheriff. Here, they're so desensitized to this stuff that you'll never see a speech like that, right? And and this whole idea that whenever there's a crime committed with the guns, and oh, this is what he said to begin the press conference. He said, "Gun, a gun didn't kill these three kids. Other kids killed these three kids." People, humans killed these three kids. You would never hear that from a sheriff or a law enforcement official, a DA or a police chief in the blue city, right? And so it was really refreshing to hear this. And really all I could think of is, man, if we had someone like this here in San Francisco, if we had someone like this in New York or, or LA or, or Chicago, things would be so much different, so much different. And so that really touched me in that way. And um, uh, the latest is, once again, they're still looking for the third uh, third person. And it's funny because if you, if you look up stories about this, the left-wing media, it's very hard to find them. Uh, any article about Sheriff Woods and talking about that incredible press conference uh, that happened. Oh, here it is. Well, here's one. Of course, Fox. Fox is covering it. But you don't see, I can't find this anywhere else where they talk about this guy's press conference and the words he used. Uh, oh, oh, well, here, here it is. Here it is. Okay, so Fox did post a story. Sheriff Billy Woods goes off after a reporter asks about gun control following teen murders. So Marion County Sheriff Billy Woods on Friday flammed, uh, slammed society, school districts, and gun law rhetoric after announcing the arrest of two juveniles, one of whom is just 12, 
Incredible. In connection with the recent killings of three teenagers in Florida, a third juvenile suspect remains at large, and the attorney general's office is weighing whether to charge all three suspects as adults, Wood said during a press conference. The fact is, society fails them. We do not hold our juveniles accountable. We minimize their actions. The suspects are accused of fatally shooting 16-year-old Layla Silvernail, 16-year-old Camille Quarles, and an unnamed 17-year-old male on and around March 30th in rural Marion County. Woods told reporters he had to look into the eyes of the suspects' mothers and inform them of their son's crimes. Really, the suspects' parents don't have a whole lot to say. If you're a parent, put yourself in their shoes. Holy hell, panic. I'm scared to death as a parent. Embarrassed, ashamed. What do they think you're going to say? What do you think they're going to say, the sheriff said. I'm a father and I cannot fathom what they're going through. These mothers... And the mothers across the nation need all of your help because here's what infuriates me, he said. The sheriff also criticized media and others who put the blame on guns after a shooting. There are individuals out there viewing who want to blame the one thing that has no ability or the capacity to commit the crime itself. And that's the gun. These individuals committed the crime. He added that he does not know what the solution is, but the bad guy's going to get a gun no matter what laws you put into place. Woods went on to blame society and schools for not holding juveniles accountable for their crimes. I'm a father, he said, but there's one thing my boys know. Growing up, the freaking barber had my permission to whip their asses. The suspects in the triple homicide were involved in a burglary and robbery ring and stole their firearms from cars, Woods said. A simple burglary, as some would say, but I don't consider anything simple when it comes to a burglary. If the law allows me, I'll plaster their faces up on my page, on media. I'll hand it out if the law allows me because parents have the right to know who their kids are hanging out with and preventing this, Wood said. He continued, our school districts, not, not just here, across the state and across the nation, need to stop minimizing the actions of their students. Hold them accountable. That's where the failure is. Police first found Silvernail with a gunshot wound lying on the side of the road in the area of Park Lakes Road. Authorities transported the teenager to a hospital in critical condition, and she lost brain function and was pronounced dead. Um, the suspects were in Silvernail's vehicle with the victims prior to their deaths, according to the sheriff. Authorities believe all three victims were shot at the same time. She was there of her own free will, Wolf said of Silvernail. After obtaining a search warrant and searching her vehicle, authorities found 16-year-old Quarles dead from a gunshot wound in Silvernail's car. The suspects, the arrested suspects confessed to shooting Quarles in the vehicle, Wood said. Um, so these were basically uh, suspects were part of a wannabe or a neighborhood gang. But this is what the sheriff said, and he's 100% right. He's 100% right. And it basically comes down to this. Until you start putting the responsibility on the people who commit these crimes and not on an inanimate object, none of this is going to stop. And as a sheriff, he's tired of seeing all the blame from the media and the politicians on the left, of course, putting the blame on an inanimate object and not on the people. You don't stop this by taking away the inanimate or, or putting laws that make it more difficult for law-abiding citizens to buy these inanimate objects. Because the criminals are going to get these inanimate objects and make them animate by using them, you see. So he wants to start seeing responsibility taken by the people who commit the crimes. And he wants the media and the politicians on the left to start putting the responsibility on the people who commit the crimes. And not just reflexively going to the guns all the time.
and and I and I and I feel that frustration. But here is a sheriff who's saying this. This is a man in in law enforcement on the ground. Okay, who knows a lot more than any person in the media or any left wing politician might think they know about crime. And it was so refreshing to watch him talking about this. And once again, all I could think was, boy, if he was the sheriff here, mm, would be a big difference. But these are the kinds of people we need in law enforcement, right? We need these kind of old school people being brought back into law enforcement. Because right now law enforcement's run by a bunch of you know bunch of of uh, knee jerk you know uh, bleeding heart left liberals who who are coming up with the most bizarre things. I mean, there's one person, one politician said we need to stop arresting people that they instead of putting them in jail they could clean your house for a couple of weeks. I mean, these people are nuts. They're incredibly nuts, and their nutty, wacky ideas are being pushed so much where people are starting to take them seriously. And they're becoming like law. And we have DAs who are enforcing the law this way. What with their, their first reaction is to feel bad for the, for the criminal, right? Their first reaction for these liberal DAs, these Soros-backed DAs. And by the way, Alvin Bragg is Soros-backed. There was some pushback from the left that Soros was not backed by Soros, but he was. He got millions of dollars from a Soros pack. That's how Soros gets money to people. That's not, that's not bullshit, okay? I love when these people try to, the media try to bullshit you. Oh, if it's a pack, it's not really. No, if it's a pack that supports Trump and DeSantis, then it's a real, they're really getting, you know, they're, they're really getting support from them. But if it's a, a, a Soros pack, it's not really Soros. No, you know, it's not really Soros. What well, is Soros? It's a Soros pack. And they, support left-wing DAs. And Alvin Bragg is one of the left-wing DAs. They got millions of dollars for his campaign from a Soros pack. So these are Soros-backed DAs. And they all have that same idea of we put too many people in jail. Uh, these people come from, uh, you know, tough backgrounds. They they were not dealt, uh, you know, a, uh, a straight deck in life and they deserve to get second, third and fourth chances. That's what they believe, which is really okay. If someone steals a pack of gum, right? If, if someone, you know, um, knocks over a flower stand, I understand that. Sure. But no, not when they kill people, not when they rape people, not when they loot stores and destroy their business. No, they don't deserve second, third and fourth chances. You put them in jail, you put them in jail. And you see you, that, that that's how you punish them so they don't do it again. Because they do it again, they go back to jail. And people don't do it because they don't want to go to jail. See how this works? This is the way the punishment element works, okay? And the liberals don't seem to understand this. You put them in jail, period. There's no, they clean your house instead. They do community service. No, come on. You put them in jail, and that's how you punish them. And you take them off the streets. You take the threat off the street. You don't put the threat back on the street. That's another thing these liberal DAs do. They put the threat back on the street again. As though these people are going to think uh, they're going to have a come to Jesus moment and say, oh, you've been so nice to me. You've sacrificed me. I'm going to become a good person now overnight. It's not the way it works. Sometimes they become a good person in jail. They, they start reading the Bible. They get religious. They become a better person after 20, 30 years. Sure. They don't want to go back there. They don't want to go back to jail again. They want to get out. They want to. They want to make their lives better, so they don't have to go through that again. And they can. And can. And they can make themselves better, and they can be a productive part of society. But there has to be the punishment first. 
And then they can come and have that come to Jesus moment. It's 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 a uh, it's mind boggling. It really is. It's almost as though these DAs, these politicians, don't know anyone who's ever been a victim of crime. They've never been a victim of crime themselves. It's it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Do they live in these ivory towers? These ivory towers, where they don't have to deal with the things that everyone else here has to deal with. It's 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 incredible, and it's these policies that don't work. These are the policies that are law. This is what's happening. Alvin Bragg, with everyone other than Trump, has downgraded felonies 52% of the time. So more than one out of every two times, he downgrades a felony to a misdemeanor. Okay? That means the person commits a felony. They're charged with a felony. The book says it's a felony. And he downgrades it to a misdemeanor 52% of the time. And it doesn't work because then they go back and they commit more crimes. That's why we see when someone commits a heinous crime, it's not uncommon for them to have seven, eight mugshots. Okay? It's not like it's their first crime. It's very rarely the first crime. And yet these this is the ideology of these people. It's the ideology of these people. They have a soft spot for the criminal, and they don't care about the victim. It's almost as though they think the victim deserves it especially if they're white, right? They deserve it. And that's the problem. And we have to get rid of these people. We need to just flush them down the toilet because they're making our lives miserable. They're making our quality of life miserable. And speaking of making our quality of life miserable. So you've heard about the Tennessee Three, right? I spoke about Tennessee Three a little bit yesterday. I just grazed over it. And I said that these Democrats are now getting what they deserve, right? The, the Republicans gave them just a little bit of their medicine in Tennessee that they've been giving us. It's a, And I say a teaspoon compared to January 6th and the way those people were prosecuted and spent months in jail, years in jail. This is just a little teaspoon. I mean, expelling two out of two out of three people who then can run again for those seats again. I mean, that's just like a teaspoon of the medicine that they've been shoving down our throats for a while now. And then you read more about the story and you say, okay, uh, the one person who survived is, is screaming that she survived because she was white. Now, I would have simply, I would have uh, expelled her because she's ugly, ugly. She's an incredibly ugly woman. And she's ugly in many ways, not just physically. She's ugly because now she's claiming it's racism is the reason why she survived. And so she goes on CNN and says, oh, isn't it obvious why I survived? They're two young black men and I'm a, and I'm a white woman. So you look, so the, the morons on CNN say, oh, yeah, everything's skin deep with Democrats. Everything's, everything is race. There's nothing else but race. You don't even have to have any facts or evidence backing up your claims of racism. You can just say it's exactly what it looks like. They're black. I'm white. Therefore, it must be racism. And these liberals buy it. They all buy it. Schmuck face liberals like Fat fuck Rob Reiner goes on Twitter and says, Tennessee, uh, racism is alive and well in Tennessee. Hey, you meathead, yeah, you meathead, yeah. I mean, really, these people are so vile. They're vile. So the, he goes on and he claims this. And then you look a little bit. All you have to do is look a little bit into her story. And so people will say, OK, why did she survive and not get expelled like the two blacks? Well. They all had lawyers, okay? And her lawyer, her and her lawyer, basically threw the two black kids under the bus by saying, 
I didn't do, I wasn't as bad as them. What they did was worse than what I did. Meaning, I believe they got like bullhorns and they started standing up and grandstanding and she didn't do the bullhorn thing. She was taking part in it, but she wasn't as vocal. She wasn't like egging people on. And so by one vote, I believe, by one vote, the majority still voted to get rid of her. But by one vote, she survived. But that's the reason why she survived. But she won't say that because she's a fucking coward. They should have got. See, this is how Republicans will never learn. Don't give Democrats any mercy. They don't deserve any mercy. She doesn't deserve any. They they, they should have gotten rid of her. And then she wouldn't have. She wouldn't be able to blab about racism. They should have known this. They should have known it would look like racism. So they should have gotten rid of her, too. Then they wouldn't have had to worry about her false accusation of racism when she's actually the racist because she threw the two black guys. Her and her lawyers threw the two black guys under the bus by saying what they did was worse and worth expulsion. And hers. She was not. And her. Lawyers did a good enough job where she survived by one vote. But she won't say that on CNN. See, she won't say that on CNN because she's a fucking coward. And Democrats love using race for their advantage. They love making everything about race. They are the biggest racists, not only in this country, but in the world. In the world. Everything is about race. Once again, the facts don't matter. The evidence of the case doesn't matter. The evidence of the case wasn't matter. She won't say, oh, well, I said what they did was worse than what I did. But that's exactly what her defense was. If she was not a racist, if she was so into solidarity with her black brothers, she would have just gone down with them. She wouldn't have tried to make the case that what they did was worse than her, meaning worth expulsion. Well, she did not do enough to get expelled. But you won't see CNN or MSNBC covering any of this. But all you need to do is look at what the lawyer said on that House floor. Look at what her lawyer said and look at what she said during the deliberation process. And that's exactly why she survived. So who's the racist, honey? Who's the racist? But once again, this needs to be a lesson learned for Republicans. Don't show any mercy. Get rid of all of them. Get rid of all of them. Don't do the right thing. See, Republicans did the right thing. They looked at the evidence and they found that what the two black guys did was worse than what she did. And so they didn't expel her. They not. They didn't even think because not everything's about race to Republicans. So they, need, they didn't even think that she would then go on and say, look, the two black guys are gone and I'm still here. But the Republicans need to learn from this and learn that Democrats will use racism for everything. So if they had just gotten rid of all three of them, that wouldn't be the case. You wouldn't be able to talk about race. Right. Lesson learned, I hope. I hope it's a lesson learned. I hope it is. Is it? That's the question. Will Republicans learn? They seem to be getting a little bit tougher, but maybe they're not tough enough. Maybe they're not tough enough. That's what I'm thinking. They have to get even, even tougher, you know? Because the left, once again, is trying to take everything. They're trying to reimagine the cultural, societal landscape. They really are. And the, the amount of pushback isn't enough. It's, it's just not enough yet. 
It's not enough to say, no, 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 we're not going to live in your crazy lunatic world. We're not going to live in your crazy lunatic world. We're not going to do it. We're going to live in reality. Okay. We're going to live in the real world. We're not going to live in some alternate nut job universe. That's not going to happen. At some point, at some point, that's going to have to happen. At some point, that's going to have to happen. Because this is just not going to sustain society. We're not sustainable. We're not, we are going to have a real civil war. And it's not going to be the one from the 1800s where the guns, too bad it can't be like that, where the guns can just settle everything, where an actual war with, with, with weapons can decide. It's not going to be that. It's going to be so much messier. It's going to be cultural, societal. We're all mixed up. It's not like it was back then with a, 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 a line delineating north and south, a very bold line delineating north and south. We're all over the place. We're mixed. We have normal people like me and Daniel and others here in San Francisco surrounded by nut jobs. We're all mixed in. We're all mixed up. So it's going to be even messier than the civil war that we know. Much messier. And at this point, it seems like the left, the whack jobs on the left, just don't want to come to any kind of sane, normal uh, agreement or commonplace. They want it their way. And if they don't get it their way, you're a terrorist. If they don't, if you do, they don't get it their way, you're a, you're, a, um, you're a dreg of society. You're a white supremacist. You're a Trump supporter. You're this, you're that, you're the other thing. There's no discussion. If you don't agree with them, you're censored and deleted. The First Amendment doesn't matter. The Second Amendment doesn't matter. The Constitution doesn't matter. You must agree with them. And the difference between the left and right if you don't agree with the left, you're a bad person. You're not someone that just doesn't disagree with them. You're a bad, evil person. That's what they actually believe. What on this Friday night? Hey, coming at you from uh, Polk Street near uh, Crunch Fitness tonight. Oh, all right. Um, I think I'm on mile 18.5. <laughs> you're, you're getting there. Yeah, and uh, and I uh, didn't but didn't didn't uh, do a new chin up record for this night, darn it. But um, yeah, uh, the um, why your question was uh, why why aren't conservatives getting um, tougher? Why would you get tougher when your opposition is self destructing? I don't know if they're they're self destructing. I mean, I, they get they're getting their way. They're, you know why they get their way a lot? Because the media is on their side. And most people, I mean, see, you don't have a television set, but a lot of people do. And they, they believe what they see on television. And 90% of the media tells them the left are the good people, the good righteous people. And the people on the right are evil, Trumper, white supremacists who want to take their rights away. And that's the problem. The problem is so much of the media is on their side. And often the media narrative wins out because so many people have no brain, no, no ability to think for themselves and just believe what they see on the television. So this kind of fight back, I think, is, is very important simply because no one else is going to fight back for us. Right. No one's going to tell the truth. No one's going to say this is the real reality. This is the alternate nut job reality that they're trying to create. Right. So 
on every issue, whether it's trans stuff or race stuff, the media is constantly promoting the idea that the, the Democrats, the left are righteous and the Republicans and the right are evil. Yes. So if, if you're um, on the right and you see blue cities um, everywhere uh, self-destructing um, and you see a media trying to tell those people in the entire country, try to tell everyone in the entire country in the world um, that they aren't self-destructing, mm-hmm. that everything's just fine. Why wouldn't you just allow your opponents, your opposition to just continue self-destructing and doing the Baghdad Bob thing? As though you weren't. Why wouldn't you just let them self-destruct? Because that is what is going on in San Francisco. That is what is going on in Chicago. That is what's going on in New York. That's what's going on in L.A., et cetera, et cetera. We have people that, like like this sheriff that, that, that you talked about in Tennessee, we have, we have people that are entirely 180 degrees his antithesis here, when he says, when he says society failed these kids, what the left is going to hear, if they heard that alone, was, oh, there wasn't enough diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. It, it, but what he means is that we failed these kids by letting them get away with, with what they had. They, obviously, each one of these children that commit acts like that has a history, a long history before they become involved with the law. Of, of 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 not only criminal behavior but sociopathic behavior quite often and these 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 children were failed not only by their parents but by the society around them as the sheriff said that doesn't identify the problem doesn't right. identify the individuals with the problem and so we're back to the self destruction thing why wouldn't i mean every, every Besides the compassion for, for the people that are hurt by these freaking sociopaths, besides the compassion for people that are hurt by the, um, the kid glove attitude that the left, take, left takes toward crime, why wouldn't you just allow your opponent to just self-destruct and teach them once and for all a big lesson? I mean, this is very much in a way like what's going on with the, uh, the uh, gender nonsense. I mean, you have people out there just saying, Absolutely batshit crazy things. And you have men in, in boxing rings and MMA fights beating the crap out of women. You have, you have guys doing deadlift competition against women, men. You have men that are competing and that are in swimming, et cetera, et cetera, that are just destroying women's sports. And why wouldn't conservatives just sit back and say and applaud, other than the fact that there are children that are getting hurt? By, by this, you know, this drive toward um, mutilation. Of, but, you know, if, if they were all about winning, why wouldn't they just sit back and just say, yeah, let, let them hurt themselves. Let them hurt their kids. It's a lesson that they're going to need to learn because obviously these people really aren't out to solve any problems. These people are, are just, it, it's, 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 it's a political derangement syndrome. We've talked about this many times. They aren't out to solve problems. They, they are told either by media, uh, social media, et cetera, et cetera, that this is the uh, perspective that the left is supposed to take today. And they take it simply because they, they have a sense that in order to belong and remain within their tribe, they have to support 
this particular behavior, point of view, etc. And that's that's the only thing. That's as much thought as goes into it. It's all about social reasoning. It's not about reasoning to solve any objective problem, any stated problem. It's about staying within your tribe and not being uh, not being um, excommunicated from from your tribe. And that's that's as much as thought as goes into it. And so why why wouldn't you allow those people to just continue to self-destruct so that, that you teach them a lesson that there's something more important than allegiance to your tribe? And that's the, the thing that's most important is this: our communities, real communities, our country, our nation, our states, our cities, how we all get along. That's far, 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 far more important than your particular allegiance to your tribe. And being seen as being as remaining within your your little tribe, it's yeah. it's let them self destruct. Is is why wouldn't you? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, I understand a little bit about the self destruction, but they also might need a little push as well. And I think I think I always think it's important to push back. You know, not always be on the defense, be on offense sometimes, and that's where the left wins a lot. Is they constantly go on offense i mean look look at how they twisted the the uh the shooting in nashville right where they're the victims right where the trans people are the victims not those kids who are lying dead and the three sixty year olds who are lying dead they're not the victims right the victim is the person who went in and shot 137 bullets look at how they do that i mean when they at the exact point where in the real world like in the, in the world of reality and of the living it's like they're totally on the defense. They should be on the defensive in this particular instance. They automatically go on the offense and say, oh, you're persecuting us when it was a trans person who killed Christians. Right. So but they're right. You know, it, that's the problem it, it, is that they, they it, know how to go on the offense but, all the time. Yeah. But you know what? They're right. The, those transgender people are victims, but who are the victims and what are they victims of? They are victims well, of a society. They're not, they're, not, they're not claiming victimhood in the way you're thinking, Daniel. No, I know. And that's, yeah. and that's, and that's what, that's the point that I'm trying to drive home here. They mm-hmm. are victims. They're the same type of victims that the sheriff was talking about. They're victims of a society that does not draw boundaries and say, you and I are going to have big problems. If you step over this line, do not step over the line. This is my line. Don't question me about why I'm drawing this line. That's up to me. It's my line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, look, I think the fact of the matter is, is what, what's more telling, I think, is the way they have responded to what happened in, in, in a place like Tennessee. Right. Once again, what are they, what are they doing? They're trying to go on the offense. Right. When they were wrong. They're, this is the thing. They go on the offense when they're 120% wrong. It might be one thing to go on the offense when you could be right. All right. But when you're 120% wrong, they still go on the offense. Like this thing with Tennessee, where now they're being, you know, the Tennessee three, they're, being, they're heroes. They're like Chicago seven, the Tennessee three. Oh my God, all the racism and anti democracy and the authoritarianism of the Republicans. When, of course, it's exactly what the Democrats were saying was fascist on January 6th, which is storming a Capitol, right? And trying to force, trying to intimidate legislators into doing something like overturning an election. That's exactly what these three legislators 
and the people who who, who stormed the, the Capitol in Tennessee were trying to do. They were trying to intimidate the legislators, the Republican-led legislators, Republican-heavy legislation, into into uh, enacting gun gun laws. So it's the exact same thing. But you see, this is the thing about the left. When they do it, it's okay. When they do it, it's about freedom of speech and expression. But when the right does it, they're domestic terrorist, Trumpy, Trumper, white supremacists. That's the problem. And the media forwards this narrative, right? The media, just... Except for Fox News, this pod, this show, and a couple of others, they all forward this narrative. That basically, the narrative comes down to, even though they don't state it this way, is that when the Democrats do it, it's okay. When the Republicans do it, it's bad. That's the problem. When the Democrats do it, it's about freedom and the American way. And Republicans do it, it's fascist and and white supremacist. Because they're not trying to solve any problem. Who's not trying? The media? Of course not. The media's not. The the, uh, Democrats aren't. Uh, They're simply not trying to solve a problem. uh, The only problem that they're trying to solve is how do we get more power? That's the, that's the only problem. When it comes to problems that society, that the voters can try to care about, they're not solving us trying to, even trying to solve a single one of those problems. Not a one. Instead, what they do is this, the behavior that, that, that we've been talking about. I mean, they, they, you know, it's, it's the gender nonsense. It's creating hysteria around COVID. It's the, the, the critical race theory nonsense. Um, None of this stuff is solving any problems. None of this stuff is going to solve any problems, but it it it, it rallies the base, um, and but the, the the consequence of it right. is one of self destruction. Let me let me bring uh, this all up. Those let, cases, let, let, let me try the to consequence this. is self destruction. Right now, remember the January sixth thing and the Tennessee thing. A big difference was. The January 6th thing was mostly outside. A few hundred got inside, but thousands remained outside. The Tennessee thing is everyone stormed inside. Plus, what made them expel these three people is that these were legislators. They were politicians. They were elected politicians who were involved in the insurgency, right? Don't you remember after January 6th, they were trying to investigate whether some Republican legislators had led some of these people around the Capitol a few days earlier. Do you remember that? Yes. And they had videos. They were like, look, Marjorie Taylor Greene or this one is just marching these people around, showing them around. Were they giving them a blueprint to the Capitol? So look at what they wanted to do to Republican legislators. Could, so could you imagine if on January 6th, Josh Hawley, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert got involved with the people who were breaking into the Capitol? Could you imagine what the Democrats would have wanted? They would have wanted them kicked out of Congress. So once again, there's this double standard. There's this double standard where Democrats can do it and get away with it, yeah, right? And, and they're heroes if they do it. But if Republicans double, do it, they're fascists. Yeah, and their double standard is only harming themselves. This is one of the this, this big point I'm trying to make here tonight. When we, they lose we, elections, when they finally we, lose elections, hasn't happened yet. But, well, you're, ta- you're talking about politics and politicians. I'm talking mm-hmm. about actual people, um, voters. Uh, in, in cities and states across the uh, country, and those people are living in cities that are self-destructing. And this this behavior, um, the self-destructing behavior, is simply being promoted, and it's being promoted. Uh, it, the, the sheriff that you talked about, um, he, he hit it 
Woods. The nail right on the head when, when talking about his own children and, mm-hmm. and the way uh, um, he draws boundaries for them. I mean, every good parent out there know, um, drew boundaries for their children very early on. Right. And if there was two parents involved, like with my children, uh, the parents worked together to have to present a cohesive front with respect to behaviors that were go- going to be tolerated and weren't going to be tolerated. And there was no explanation at any age about why we are drawing these lines until the kids got to near adulthood, maybe 15, 16, somewhere around there. Then you would start discussing. Before that, it was just, this is the way it's going to be <laughs> in the discussion. And we have the power to um, enforce uh, uh, these behaviors. And we instilled this in our ch- children very early on. And, and that made them extremely happy and well-functioning children. I'm, I've got a great story. Um, I'll tell real quickly. I think, I think I've told it to you before um, about how, how good parenting is done. And, and you will obviously see analogies to to every, and everyone listening to society in general. And it's about escalating behavior and how, p- p- t- how parents teach their children unwittingly to escalate their behavior until it becomes very problematic. We used to go swimming with this group in, in New Mexico, about five families. And after, um, after the swimming event in the evening with all their kids, two or three kids apiece, to a neighborhood restaurant that had a back room where a lot of families with children were going. And so we went to the back room. There's, you know, probably, you know, 25 adults and kids, you know, uh, sitting around a number of tables. One family's children starts misbehaving. The mother says, stop that. The kids continue. The mother gets a little bit more animated, telling them to stop that. And it just, she escalates, they escalate. Because every time she escalates a little bit, they say, eh, you know, they've learned from the past from their mother's behavior that they can keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally, she's screaming at her kids. Do you kids want a spanking? And what happens? My daughter who was three years old at the time, jumps up and says, I do, I do, because she had no idea what a spanking was. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> because, because, because these parents taught these kids to escalate behavior. They didn't draw lines, and they didn't enforce those boundaries. Be, you, I mean, you draw those lines, and you make sure that you enforce them, and you make sure that if your kids ever misbehave, in any situation, like they're in a restaurant or a theater or whatever, one of the parents was designated in our family. Um, at, before we went into to, into one of those events, we would say, okay, it's you tonight. You know, I did it last time. And, and, and what we meant by that was that if the kids were to misbehave, you would immediately take them outside. And kids hate being separated from the entire family. And you'd immediately take them outside and you would quietly sit on the bench and you simply wouldn't talk. And you would say, we're going to sit here until you calm down. It took us one or two of those those events with each one of our children, and then they never did it again. Um, it, it, it's, you just drew these, you drew these right. lines, and you it, enforced it, them. And it's it, amazing. If you ever back off of, from your line, the yeah. kids will push the line, and yeah. they will escalate, and they will escalate until these kids wind up in trouble right. with the law. But you know what's amazing, Daniel, is that the whole idea that, that spanking, a kid not knowing what a spanking was. I mean, in my time, I would have been like, you know, just, of course, obviously, like most kids would have been like crying, saying, no, of course, I don't want to spanking. I can only imagine, you know, like taking those car trips with the family. And when 
the kids act up in the back of the car and the father looks at and says, don't make me turn this car around. I can imagine kids these days saying, yeah, okay, turn the car around. That's fun, daddy. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because from, from, you know, my, my wife and I were, were disciplined enough about this and we worked together, um, uh, you know, as a, as a tight unit um, with our children early on. And and we discussed this sort of stuff of how we were going to handle how we were going to handle situations um, that arose that arose with respect to behavior, and and the lines were just crystal clear and drawn for, for our kids, and they knew you know what behaviors weren't going to be tolerated and which were, and they knew that their parents were going to enforce those boundaries no matter what. And so they simply never did it. We had this one, two, three method that we used where um, where if our child misbehaved, we would say that's one. And they, and at first they didn't know what we were doing, you know. And, and then if they did it again, we'd say that's two. And if they did it again, we'd say that's three. And then we would separate them and put and, and put them in their room or separate them from the rest of the family if we were out or whatever. And that's as much punishment as they got. But kids at that age, they do not like that. That is a very par- powerful punishment. So we had to do this with each one of our children. We were separated by almost three years, maybe once or twice before yeah. they before they caught on. And as long as they knew you're going to enforce this every single time, that's as much as you ever had to do it. If anyone has ever ta- taught an animal, if anyone has ever um, worked with with a, with a dog, for example, to teach them tricks, the the way you do it is you make sure. It's crystal. They have a crystal clear under that you know your animal has a crystal clear understanding of what it is that you want them to do in some incremental fashion, and then you, when they do it, you reward them for it immediately. If 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 you're a good animal trainer, you can usually make these incremental changes in behavior on one or two tries at most for every behavior, and then you just teach them incrementally to get up to the final behavior that you want to do. A good trainer never fails. They, they they simply never fail, and this it's the same thing with children. Right. It's the, it's, the, it's 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 but conditioning. Think, it's psychological back, conditioning. Going back in to general. Sheriff Billy Woods, I think his whole point was the problem is we put the fault on the gun, not the person who uses the gun, and that in the, in this particular case it was three youth, but anytime and that's his well, problem. His bigger, I think it's it's very frustrating for him and the frustration came out in that press conference that he's constantly seeing the politicians on the left in the media saying oh guns 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 and not it's the fault of the criminal the criminal the criminal well yeah and and he's saying yeah and and his bigger message was you know i don't know how to solve this problem given the polarization i think Mm -hmm. that's what we're saying and, and given the way you're discussing this problem i don't know how to solve it but the problem is that we have failed these children. That's the message. And then he made it crystal clear what he meant by that, by talking about his own children. And what he's saying is draw lines or suffer the consequences. Yep. Basically. Yeah. And I think he made that point when he, when he, you know, in, in a very funny way, you know, I felt, I found it funny. And even the cop standing behind him found it a little funny when he said, I've given the barber the right to kick my kids' asses if they act up. Yeah, you know, exactly. Meaning he's meaning the adults. Yeah. have the right no the adults the, should be doing should be teaching the kids how to be proper citizens yeah when we were when we were young we knew that my parents wh- whether they explicitly gave the barber um, the right or not I- I- in front of us explicitly did this we knew that the barber 
was going to <laughs> wasn't right. going to tolerate our behavior if we acted up. That right. was the the world was different back then, and and children behaved a whole hell of a lot better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Daniel. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yep. Have a good night. Thank you. Good night. All right. Let's go to. What's going on tonight? Well, that was a great story I caught from Daniel, and I just wanted to echo that. Um, my mother, she trained us early on <laughs> that if if we misbehaved, um, you know, more than once or so, and she had four kids to deal with, you know, at home. Can you imagine? You know, That's crazy. One was from a previous marriage, and the other three were all a year apart each, you know, so it was bang, 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 bang. And she, uh, she used to, when I was little, I remember use this like paddle, like put her over, put us over her lap. You know what I mean? To spank her bottoms, but it yes. didn't hurt. It was just embarrassing, you know, cause right. you know, you know, she, she never like tried to hurt us. It was like teaching us a lesson. Like, no, you're not going to do that. And then it went from that to, you knew you used to get the eagle eyed look. Mm. She just turned and you get the look and and, you'd and be just like, just from the look you would know I better I better behave. Right? Yeah, because you knew if you if you push it, you're gonna get a spank in that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, right. You knew you knew what came after the look. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes, and that look was like oh shit. Or the other one was wait, don't keep backing up. I'll tell your father when he don't make me tell your father when he gets home. Right. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, my father was an old, well, old school type Italian where mm -hmm. he wanted to come home after work, sit in his lounge chair. And the, my mother was like, don't bother your father when he's ready. He'll, he'll interact with you and talk with you, whatever, but don't bother him. You know what right. I mean? Give, give, <laughs> him, give him his alone time. Yeah, hard day of work. He's sitting in the living room chair. You know, he has a big cushy chair. He's got four children, you know, yep. and he wants a little wind down time. You know what right. I mean? So, of course. The other thing is, when we went to the table for dinner, it was like, look, Maman's putting the table, the plates down. You can all talk a little bit. But once the food's in the plate, n none of this yakking. The food's hot. Mom made it. You know what I mean? The food's ready. You're going to yeah. eat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think these these nostalgic things you're talking about, unfortunately, yeah. for the for many people, it is total nostalgia. And that's the problem. This should still be going on today. And I think we're kind of that share of Billy Woods in Florida really put a finger on it. And even though he said at the beginning of the press conference, if I had an answer to why we're such a violent society now would be great because I, I, I it would cure everything. But I think he did put his, his finger on it when he said that this is the problem. This whole idea of raising children to be um, empathetic people is the problem. We're not raising empathetic people. We're not raising empathetic humans. And so they don't see. They just see like uh, the, the other person is like if they get in their way, you just kill them. Right. I mean, that's what a lot of these kids are, are being brought up to believe. If someone does something you don't like or gets in your way, dumbing their noise, you just simply do away with them. They're not worth anything, right? Get them out of your way. And that's, well, I, that's the I, problem. I, there isn't this kind of growing up anymore, being afraid of adults, being afraid of authority, right? That doesn't exist anymore. 
it's 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 like it's our way or the highway. And look at this: a twelve-year-old Bill in Florida, a twelve-year-old murderer. I mean, it's it's just it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, go back, forget oh, seventy years, go back thirty years or forty years, and think of what people would 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 think about this stuff. It's just it, it's 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 incredible. It really is. But I think that sheriff put his finger on it. We're not doing those things that your family did, that your mother and father did. The parents nowadays are not doing that. They're excusing too much bad behavior and it's leading to worse behavior. Yeah, well, I I mean, there's a couple of things there. Um, regarding the, the behavior, obviously it starts at home, you know, um, and I want to, Daniel made a comment, he said, we grew up in the same home, Bill. <laughs> I saw you right. <laughs> yes, there you go. Right. But so many people kind of did, but not anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I That's got a the couple... problem. It, it's just the lack of of empathy for other people is what's there. If that empathy were there, you see a lot less violent crime. But the, crime of all kinds, because when you when you when you rob stuff from stores, it closes it closes them down to force people to lose their businesses. So, but it's almost like we take what we want, and if you get in our way, watch watch out. That's where we live now. That's the kind yeah, of society think, we live in now. Right, right. Well, okay. How do we how do we get from this home life that had a two parent home where mom stayed home and dad went to work yeah. to a single parent home where mom's working and the kids going to daycare or a two parent home. The kid goes to daycare, but this is just, this is a large part of this. It's, it's layered and it, it went, uh, there's, what am I trying to say? As the economy got more and more difficult for a, a single parent, to work and support the family, mom had to look for work. Or then you had, of course, the feminist movement for what it'd be if what it is where women are like, look, I'm going to, I want to have my career, have my kids and the nanny's going to take care of the kids or whatever daycare is going to take care of the kids. You also had, of course, um, unfortunately, part of the fallout from providing social services was you end up with the single mother with multiple children and the father not, or the, uh, the fellow who impregnated her not willing to commit to a marriage. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. in other words, we have all these societal layers of breakdown. You know what I mean? And then we had, um, also, um, just a, what's the right word? A, a lot of societal influences that were negative, um, like one, for example, be these video games where the kids sit there and they practice killing constantly. You know what I mean? That the, the, the model is, you know, who they can assassinate. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. to get, get better and better and better. And what that does, uh, better and better at doing it and also more desensitized. I don't, I've never, I couldn't imagine. First of all, the only time we were inside when we were kids is when we were grounded or it was lightning out. You know what I mean? Like we yes. did not want to be inside. We always want to get outside and run around. Well, that's, a, that's another, we've talked about that problem before. Yeah. I mean, that problem is only getting worse. 
It's only getting worse. Right. I, so the, do, you, do, you see, do you see a time when kids are going to start going outside again anytime soon? I don't know. I'm not a parent. I don't know what the parents no, well, mind. Forget yeah. about the social media and the, and the uh, tablets and, and cell phones yeah. and video mm-hmm. games. But then on top of that, we had a COVID thing where they didn't, they didn't let kids do anything. It was terrible. I mean, that even if things were maybe yeah, getting well. a little better, that set it back another God knows how many years. So it's, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think it's going to be a real long time before we get back into that period where like kids start going out again. I don't know. If it, maybe it's never going to happen. But you remember, right? Playing baseball in the streets or oh. football in oh. the streets or, or stoop ball or stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And that was very consistent. I mean, my father did that in the 50s and 60s. I did that in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. But then it like all ended in the 21st century. It began to end. So from the beginning of time until the 80s into 90s, it was consistent. Kids would go outside. They'd play outside. And then yeah. come like the 21st century, that has all stopped. And I think that that's a big part of this also. Well, there's certainly, yeah, the COVID era is a whole nother thing that uh, has a whole huge layer of um, just a breakdown. Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. I mean, part of the problem, okay, before we get to the COVID era, right, if we have kids looking to parents and people in authority figure who over several generations as we can see, for whatever reason, and I'm, I'm not a sociologist or socialist, a social worker, like seem to lose the skills that m- we were taught on how to even parent, you know, like, you know, think examples that Daniel was given that I've given, and I can give you some more other ones. But, um, you know, my father, when we pushed my mother, like she did tell my father. You know what I mean? If she, for whatever reason, if she felt she had fried between doing the cook, can you imagine being a single, being a mom? It's like super mom. She's, she's doing the laundry. She's doing the cooking. She's doing the cleaning. She's got, then she's trying to get the kids to help her clean. She well, whatever. And then the kids are being, if they're, if they're getting out of control, you know, she's got her ways to go about it. But then dad got home. And then he got told, if he got told, we were in deep shit. If you know, we knew once he got told, oh shit, you know, I moved, you yeah. know, because you knew when dad, even, can you imagine like being a father? Now you come home and your wife's got to lay this on. Now you got to act angry because if you don't, you, you don't back her up. You know, you know I mean? that's, that's hilarious, Bill. Even if you're not in the mood to be angry, if you're too right, right. tired to be angry, right. you have to act angry. Yeah. Act angry. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you know? Because then the mo- you're right. If you don't, the mother's like, what am I out here alone? You're not, you're not backing right. her up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so anyway, um, I, I, I can only reflect the family home that I grew up in. Uh, there were some other issues that were dysfunctional. I didn't grow up in a perfect home. You know what I mean? But there were some certain things around boundaries that were positive. You know, the other thing is, if we started with the potty mouth, my mother let us know. Now, the, the problem was my father had a bit of a drinking issue. And when he would start drinking a little bit, his mouth would get a little loose. You know and- what's funny? You bring this up. That, mm-hmm. That's an issue now with me and my mm-hmm. mother. I curse a lot. I just curse a lot. Mm-hmm. And 
when I, uh, you know, I'll see her once or twice a year. And uh, we now, we agree a lot politically. And mm. uh, <laughs> because they've always been conservative. Now I've come around to that. And right. and we agree a lot. So I'll, 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 we'll get together. We'll go out to dinner. And I'll say, that's fucking Biden. Can you? And <laughs> my mother would be like, do you have to curse so much? <laughs> Yeah. I'm fifty. I'm fifty years old. <laughs> yeah, right, mommy's telling you not to stop. Yeah, my cursing. stepfather's like, like, you know, you do curse a lot. You do curse a lot. It's like, wait, I'm fifty years old. I can't curse. But no, my mother doesn't want me cursing in front of her. Not the way I do. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And I, yeah, exactly. So, my father. Boy, I'll tell you what. Have you ever gotten your mouth washed out with ivory soap? <laughs> that no, only took. Also, I, I never got that. Wasn't castor oil a big thing for a while? <laughs> well, castor oil was kind of an old wives' tale to help keep the bowels moving. I, I never took that as a punishment, but but no, the ivory soap was. Um, if one time I, I I really swore at my sister, I was she had done some things that I was angry about, you know, and, and it was kind of tricky and did see for what she did but the bottom line is that kids do that you know what i mean they taunt one another they do things whatever she was my older sister and so i swore at her you know and my mother said that's it you're you're getting in the habit of swearing too much i'm gonna tell your father <laughs> so dad gets home yeah. and, he, and you know we, they, you know when once my mother tells him then there's the stern silence and the and the the look of this you know what's what was the right word i'm looking for he's looking at you like you did wrong. And you're like, Oh shit. And so a little while went by and he says, Bill, come on downstairs. And I go down with all the homes in new England, I have a basement, you know, I go downstairs and says, go over by the door. And I'm over by the door and he walks towards me. He's got a bar of ivory soap. He says, open your mouth. Oh <laughs> no, really? You got the ivory yep. soap in the mouth. I got the ivory soap in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something about that. That soap gets in between your molars and deep down. Oh. First of all, it tastes horrible, right? And then, you know, he's just like, open your mouth, putting the bar in my mouth a couple times. He's like, I told you not to swear. This, if I, if you keep doing that, you're going to get this again, you know, whatever. So oh, then I remember trying to wash that out of my mouth. And it, it's not easy to do, and you end up blowing bubbles. For a <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I blew bubbles. I go to That's talk. That's funny. And ivory, I guess, tastes particularly bad, worse than Dove or any of the other. <laughs> well, at least he didn't use Baraxo. That would have been the worst. <laughs> oh one. yeah, Baraxo right. bar. Yeah, exactly. Because that that was at the sink. The Baraxo bar. To, you know, when he needed to clean his hands from working on the lawnmower. Yeah. Or oh yeah. I can only imagine. How about like nowadays, Neutrogena? I wonder how that tastes. <laughs> That was, I don't know about those other soaps. So that was the last time I, I was like, <laughs> like Daniel said, you learn quick. And I was like, Oh, nope, nope, nope. I, I just remember I was talking to my friends outside after I'd really tried to clean my mouth at the next day, even. And I was talking to my friends at the picnic table because we had, a, uh, we were in an area where families would visit one another, the children you know, for, okay, today you're going down to Mrs. Scott's house and here's a, you know, either she's going to make meal for all the kids or mom's going to make sure, you know, we're bringing our meals and the parents would trade off in the neighborhood so that the other parents had some 
some freedom. You know what I mean? Like everybody's going to go down to this, down MacArthur, down the Scotch. You're all going to play street baseball, you know, with a tennis ball so we don't break any windows. And, and mom knew where we were. And then she had some time to herself. She didn't have those these kids around her all the time. And that's how the, the parents in the neighborhood, because it was a kind of a suburb of Bridgeport, Trumbull. And it was a young, it was a new like development. And so there was a bunch of, uh, 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 couples with kids, you know what I mean? So they kind of got to know one another and they, they allowed the children to kind of scheduled almost like, okay, now you're going to go, you know, over, um, whatever down the street to the Michaels, you know what I mean? And you know what I mean? In other words, there were a couple of parents that worked together that way. Right. And, um, yeah. So we had good socialization with the kids and we learned, you know, how to play together, you know what I mean? And um, mm -hmm. um, it was like, um, if, if you go down to you know, Michael's today or the Scott's or whatever, I don't want to hear any bad reports from Mrs. Scott. You know what I mean? Right. I don't want to hear any bad reports. And, and uh, you know, and the parents knew that they back one another up. You know what I mean? In other words, yes. if I hear something from Mrs. Scott, you're going to hear about it when you get home. If I hear about it from Mrs. Scott, Unless if you can talk to me, but I'm going to talk to her and uh, you're going to get punished. And my mother would say to me, look, no matter what happens, I want you to be honest with me. If you deserve a punishment, you're going to get it. You're going to, you know, maybe upstairs uh, grounded. You know what I mean? For a mm -hmm. day or two upstairs, meaning the bedroom was upstairs, you know, like Daniel said, isolation. You go up in the bedroom. You know, you're not downstairs watching TV with your brothers and sisters or playing any games. If it's raining out, you're upstairs alone. You know what I mean? I so we, that's the way it was done. And it worked, you know, but in I that think, regard. I, maybe, maybe I know we don't have all the answers here, but I, I would like to know, do you know why parents stopped doing that? Do you, can you put your finger on why parents stopped doing that kind of thing? I don't know. Do you think maybe, I don't know. Did media have something to do with it? In other words, probably. Yeah, I'm, I, I, th I think there was a message. Of course, I, I couldn't say for sure because I was developing. You know, that punishing it. that punishing your kids was too harsh. Maybe, or that that for example, the idea of giving your kid a spanking on the butt is taboo. I mean, I. I don't know. I may, maybe that was part of it. It's, it wasn't like there was ever, it wasn't even when my mother did it, it wasn't like she, you knew you could feel you know, your children, you, you sense, you know, it wasn't like she had intent to harm. It was just to teach a lesson. You know what I mean? And it well, wasn't and I ever violent. I, you know what I, I mean? I, I, it, yes. I think a big part of it is the media and yeah. I'm sorry, but the, the left wingers, a lot of them who think, and I'm sure if you were to poll, it would really come out very much left versus right on this issue of punishing your children and maybe with the uh, corporal punishment kind of thing and in schools also letting teachers do it. But the whole idea was, once again, this is the this is the mind boggling thing. All of this, what all you're talking about, basically, what you just said was it's like a deterrent. It deters you from doing bad things. Right. It deters you from doing bad things and acting out as a child. Right. Whether it could be you know, screaming and yelling or wanting to get what you want or whatever it may be, or using the foul language you say, or whatever it may be, it's a deterrent. Just like as you get older, 
it's a deterrent when you put when you when you punish crime that's a deterrent right uh, uh armed guards in a in a school it's a deterrent it seems like the left has a problem with these things that are basically deterrents that keep society civilized and these deterrents you're talking about with children it kept the children civilized it made them understand right from wrong and so when you get rid of that when you say that's wrong or too right wing or too authoritarian what you have what you what what, what we get is a law of the jungle society where there are no rules and regulations and so i do think it's this new this new age thing that newfangled new age thing whatever you want to say of you can't you can't reprimand your children you can't reprimand your children i've seen it haven't you seen it in public bill with these liberal parents who won't reprimand their children you see kids doing crazy things whether it's in the streets at a park or on a on a we, we've all experienced it on an airplane haven't we where the kids are acting up and the parent has no idea how to reprimand the child no no yeah, clue same as- I or, think, or, or it's please, please don't do that, Johnny. Please. Oh my please. God. Yeah. You know, no, that would never happen. Um, <laughs> right. Exactly. Why are you, you know saying please to your child? Why are you begging your child? I agree. I agree. I wanted to, if, if we could go back to the chat, because Daniel has been in the chat commenting while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Too. I see him doing that. I see him. <laughs> He's big in the comments section tonight. <laughs> He's got a lot of similar experiences to me. He even he even makes a comment about about the taste of ivory soap. I, I read it. I got to go back to it. Like, apparently, well, you, he's, he's gotten the ivory treatment. <laughs> yeah, you guys are in the same age range. You're in this exactly almost. Yes, that's the same, right. Yeah. The same generation. I'm a, a slightly behind you, but still, yeah. mm-hmm. I did not have to. Growing up in the 70s and 80s, living under my parents' roof in the 70s and 80s, I I, I remember. My father hitting me once, once. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's not like my parents. My father hit me all the time. My mother slapped me all the time. It's not no. true. They did yell, but they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. There's no physical stuff, but right. they didn't have to. So I, it's not like you have to constantly hit your kid. It's not. No. It's just like you said. That look is all that was needed. Yeah. You see. Yeah. But these yeah. parents don't even have the look. <laughs> Yeah, and how and how why that broke down, um, one could probably examine, you know, uh, uh, the media influence, uh, the the gaming, and when I say the gaming, the video gaming, the the. Um, I mean, I was over at my sister's once, and her daughter wouldn't get off the phone, and my sister kind of did the escalation thing, like Daniel described, because my sister was like, "It's time to go to bed," to her daughter, and. Um, the, she wouldn't listen and it went back and forth where finally my sister was screaming at her daughter to get her to go do that. That never, ever happened at my, with my mom where she had a, or it, I can, I don't think I can remember maybe once when we were downstairs and my brother and I got out of hand, we wouldn't listen to her where she came down yelling and screaming. But generally speaking, my mother didn't get into screaming matches. It was more, we knew that, uh, uh, the, the first came the paddle, you know, on the butt or whatever the shoe on the butt, you know, whatever she could get her hands on, you know, I mean, one time she was at the sink, this, this, uh, I'll admit my, she was at the sink and I, for whatever reason, I would, you know, kids push boundaries. 
you know what I mean? Then I don't know. It's just you see it in the animal kingdom all the time, and you know, <laughs> yes, we're, you we're, do. We're, you know, <laughs> and, you do. Uh, my mother but, you know, had a. T- I think it's just top. a basic. It's basic, uh, fundamental uh, laws of, of of crime and punishment. Which is, if the child does something wrong, you have to punish them. Just like mm-hmm. if a if a person when they're an adult does something wrong, we need to punish them. It's such a simple, simple idea, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, we live in a society where it isn't that simple anymore. People on the left, is they don't they they don't believe in that. They believe in coddling and giving second, third, and eighth chances. And it doesn't matter how many victims there are, right? I mean, the victim of a child acting out is the parent, right? That's bad enough. But the victim of the adult acting out is the rest of society, okay? Not not family, not blood, just, you know, anonymous people in society who have to be a victim of this. And therefore, we have no real civilization. So it really starts. We laugh at this stuff. It's funny. It is. But it really starts exactly where you're talking about, Bill. And if everyone did things the way your parents did and mine and, 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 and Daniel's, God, there'd be so much less crime. There's so much less crime. And well, I who, think that has who, a lot to do with that. The 40s, I think what's 50s, happened to now. Worked, it, you know. I'm sorry. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. But I think objectively, you know, if, um, uh, I don't think that uh, the, uh, a per, uh, Richard Wolf, the economist, mm-hmm. made this statement. I think it's true. If you look at the cost of housing relative to income uh, for the family today, you know what I mean? Uh, it used to be 10 to 15% of a family's income went towards housing costs. You know, now, depending on the income bracket of the family or where they live, it could be 30 to 50%, you know? So what that does is it drives both parents to work, you know? And so Richard Wolf said, if, if it was a single income home with two kids, that um, the, the single income earner would have to make like $50 an hour to have a livable wage to support those two kids and pay for the housing and all the clothes and you know everything, you mm-hmm. know? And if both parents are working, you know, $25 a piece, like, I think about, uh, I think this is a big part of it, that the the parents get split up working, the kids at daycare, or, uh, uh, I, I, in other words, there's, there's bigger societal issues that have been compounded by other issues. You know, there's a lot to dissect here. You see what I'm trying to of course. So right. it's not. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've and, talked about a few of them, though, today. I mean, I'm not saying you yeah, can, right. we're going to, you know, find all the reasons and solutions in, right. in one show. Right. But I'm saying it obviously starts from how, how a person is raised, right? Uh-huh. We often see that. It's like they'll say, oh, that child was raised well. That person was raised well if they turned out good. And that's usually uh-huh. the case, you know. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with having a great childhood or not good childhood, family having money or not having money. It has to do with how they're raised, right? How they are raised. And you can often see people that say, let's take a look at, uh, you know, just in general, black inner city kids. They're, they're raised well. They grow up well. They're not raised well. They commit crime as they get older. Well, you could say the same thing for white, wealthy kids or wealthy black kids, yeah, whatever. Let's say that's wealth that's versus poverty. Yeah. Often these wealthy kids 
if they're not raised well, they'll they'll grow up being criminals, often white collar criminals, but they'll be criminals. You know, so it's often just how the person is raised, whether they come from a black family, white family, wealthy family, poor family. How do you raise the person to be developed into an empathetic human being as they as they grow up? And that's, I think, a big part of it. You know, the other side of that is you look at, you know, very wealthy people who their kids are brought up very spoiled and um, um, privileged. And you're right, they could end up being very narcissistic. Absolutely. And a lot of white sure. collar crime and feel right. justified in doing it. Right. I can, we can rob money. It's just like yeah. the, the, the kid the, 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 who grows up and decides, I can take someone's life with a gun. Their life doesn't mean anything. There are people who grow mm-hmm. up and they'll say, well, I can rob this money from this person. I can launder this money. I can take away. I can take their money away from them and and, and rip them off with a Ponzi scheme, right? Yeah. It, it has it has a lot to do with how a person is raised. And look, there's no guarantee if a person's right. raised well they're going to turn out great. Some yeah. there's other other there are other elements. There's societal elements, genetic elements, whatever it may sure. be. But I think that's a big part of it. You have a much better chance of getting a well-rounded, empathetic, not perfect, but you know, good human being if they are brought up well by their parents. Yeah, I think that is part of it. And, what, you know, I even, well, yesterday when I came back uh, after taking care of business, and I, part of what I said regarding Karthik was, to me, it's disrespectful for him not to listen to anything you have to say, right? Put a call in and be like, Mike, what are you talking about today? You know what I mean? <laughs> even though it amuses and, and, me. <laughs> even though yeah. I find it somewhat amusing. It is somewhat amusing. He's got a quirky sense of humor and and he's fairly intelligent, makes some good points too about what I'm not saying it's all when I said not everything he does is bullshit. I was just a little fed up with then as soon as he's done talking to you, he's gone. He's not a part of the show. He's not interested in hearing what other people have to say, giving any feedback, like listen to Daniel and contributing, you know, and so that to me is a spoiled kid. You know, it's a, it's, a, and, it's a little selfish. It's a little selfish. Yeah, it's, it's totally yeah. selfish. He just wants yeah. to be about him and what he has to say, and then he's off. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, it, it is. I, I, I can't say you're wrong. Yeah. And he, but he, of course, I don't know if, how he perceives it because he and I really don't talk much. I mean, I, you know, but uh, uh, he's got it right now. Is Karthik and Rudy have a uh, something going on. Uh, they do that oftentimes at night. And, uh, but I, I can't talk any real issues with Karthik because, first of all, he's, um, he doesn't engage me. He, I think he perceives me like more like a fossil. You know what I mean? Because, oh well, you know, hey, look. I don't really know, but I, I mean, um, yeah. Plus, we, some of we my, all become the fossils sooner or later if we're lucky. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> if we're and lucky. then, of course, you know, some of my views on some of these bigger societal issues are challenging for a lot of people to even consider. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet then we see the January 6th thing. We see all the lies. I've been saying our government's been lying to us for so long, you know, that for some people it's hard to wrap their head around. Then they see the January 6th thing and they see the shaman being showed around. They see the guy walking who supposedly was killed and struck in the head and he's not. And he's waving people in. They're like, wow, what? What? You know what I mean? Like, they, yeah. I think that shocked a lot of people. And I think that's another part of it, Mike. Our government and a lot of our government leaders – um, whether I, I, well, let me put it this way. People adored JFK. You know what I mean? 
he set an example. And I've listened to some of his speeches. One, they were very entertaining. Like his, his speech in front of the press corps in 1961 on secret societies, the monolithic conspiracies. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard that speech, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. boy, the, the way he butters up the press, but also digs at him a little bit at the same time before he gets into the meat of the, you know, the issue is was uh, fantastic. I, Absolutely. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and I think the part of the problem is say what you want about uh, our leaders today. Are, I don't know because of course I was growing up. I, I didn't understand. I was, I was one years old in 1961. I didn't see that speech till much later, but I remember my mother, I have a, what I call as a member of her being extremely upset about something. And then years later, telling me and I learned, you know, but what I mean is we had leaders like Martin Luther King, for example, how could you not look up to him when you hear him speak and see him march? And then you saw what happened, what happened when, you know, the dogs attacked or the water hoses and the violence and that I remember seeing. And what I'm saying is we had leaders and yet he was, he was adamant that they were not going to riot you know what I mean? And yes. destroy things. If you're going right. to march with him, you had to have control. You know, right. we were we were going to show by example. I, and go ahead. Yeah. I still believe, as we're talking about this, that the time this country, I can't I can't speak for the rest of the world, but this country was fractured. I think you and I have talked about this in the past. Was when JFK was assassinated. There was a yeah, right. a fracture yeah. that happened because if you look at this country pre-1964 and post-1964. It's like two very different countries. It really is. And it, it, there was something that happened to the psyche here, the collective psyche, which said, if the president of the United States could have his, bla- his, his brains blown out by somebody, everything goes. If, if Camelot mm-hmm. can be destroyed by a bullet, anything right. goes. And something happened. And we turned, it's, it's almost like we went into this different universe, this alternate universe. And we've been on that trajectory every way since. Or since. And I don't know how we can get back to the pre-1964 trajectory, if we ever will. That's a good point. And the other thing, Mike, thinking about that is we also had a lot of scandals that started to happen that we got made aware of, like the Nixon, you know, scandal and the, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, what am I trying to say? The, 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 when we learned the Vietnam War, we were brought into that under false pretense. You know what I mean? The Gulf of Tonkin. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they were never shot at the carrier or the ship. Or I don't know all the details of that. But what I mean is, okay, imagine growing up pre, uh, you know, around an area we had JFK before he was assassinated and the, Politicians and TV. Oh, that's another thing. The, the, the politicians were people you could look up to. Yeah. You see what I mean? And they carried it like JFK had wit, dignity, and charisma. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then you look at Mary Tyler Moore, right? And Dick Van Dyke, you know, which is probably, you may not remember, but, but the Dick Van Dyke show was funny, mm-hmm. clean. Yeah. Mary Tyler Moore, and then when she did it with uh, Lou Grant, mm-hmm. it, it was it it was classy, uh, 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 
you had Jimmy Stewart with yep. Donna Reed, and mm -hmm. it was women were were classy. It was I'll put it right out. It was class, not ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. For the most part, there's so many things that became eroded over time. You know, before Bill Cosby, <laughs> you make me want to sing that song. Girls were girls and men were men. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. We true. Can Use. <laughs> it's the All in the Family theme. But yeah. it, 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 what's so funny about that All in the Family theme is that yeah. was in the 70s. That song right. works even more now than right. then. I yeah. mean, girls were girls and men were men. That's perfect yeah. for now. It's it amazing it, uh, that they were singing that song. That song was the... the um, the theme song for that show yeah. in the seventies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the other thing is, we that show and the Jeffersons and other shows, um, also through satire and comedy that was observant, brought out the differences, the tensions, but also tried to break them down and heal them. You know what I mean? Like Rob Reiner. With uh, his the girl living in the house with with uh, with uh, Archie and the mother, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. the Jeffersons would come over, yep. and it was funny. But there, there was a message in that too. You know, there was always a message. Now, you know, Archie was kind of a real fossil. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but also trying to teach him lessons. And then George Jefferson, of course, was hysterical. Well, it was it, well, it was yeah. it was it was a it was kind of like the clash of cultures as yes. the culture as the cultures were changing at that time yes. right society was changing yes. from the yes. old school culture mm -hmm. of archie bunker to the new mm -hmm. culture of of uh, of the rob reiner character mike right and and that was the clash of cultures that made that show so funny mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the old yeah. old school and the new school and the old school resisting the new school and the new school resisting the old school and it was that constant tension Yes. in that that was so bitingly funny yeah and and you can see both sides too you, you even me watching it i could see there was value in both sides you know what i mean uh oh sure so, sure yeah. well they they each had uh real beliefs in what they believed in right they they, they truly believed in those issues right yeah they, they, mm -hmm. they, they, they were coming from a place of honesty in what they believed in is what i'm saying mm -hmm. and so that's what you're saying well you could say okay i could take Archie's side in this, but I can also see Mike's side, right? Yeah, and yeah. and that was part of the, I guess the uh, the humor, but not just the humor, but the um, the the truly, I guess uh, the teeth in the humor, which we don't really have now anymore, you know. No, and that's an interesting too. The other thing that's bizarre too is you look at those people from that era who were famous uh, actors and actresses, and a lot of them have become these morphed neoliberal. Like, what happened when you think of Rob Reiner making that movie? <laughs> I, I, I prefer to, I prefer to think of Rob Reiner back then than now. Yeah, that's what I mean. What, what, they've changed you know that's the other thing i said to people like what how is it the rebels from the yeah. day yeah right turn out well, to be how, how is it right the, the rebels now take the side of the establishment exactly yes exactly right. that, that you nailed it that's what i was trying to get at. i was like yeah. well, where are they where's the joan baez of the past you know what i mean mm -hmm. where's the um i'm thinking of some other artists of the time that that uh 
fought some of the entrenched cultural uh, ways that needed to be changed. Yeah, you know I mean? backing and, Joe Biden, thinking Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden are great leaders. That's that's real. That's real rebellion, baby. That's real unreal. rebellion. I mean, that's total big government, big, big man, big brother establishment. On top of that, we saw it during COVID with these people, right? It was these counterculture figures of the yeah. 60s. Like, we saw them, like, what's his name? The, uh, the Who's the singer? Um, I know what you're thinking about. It was just Spotify, that whole rebellion. Yes, the whole Spotify, Spotify thing, but a few of them. There, yeah. there were a few mm-hmm. of them who were, were the counterculture were. figures in yeah. the 60s who were like, no, do... As the government tells you, right? Do no. as the establishment tells you. Wear your masks, get your vaccine, you know, shut your business down. Do as the man says. These people who were fighting the man back yep. in the 60s now exactly. take the side of the man on every issue. That blew so me away. So were they always phonies? Were they always phonies? I don't think so. I think what happened for them, okay, first of all, the, the government, Neil Young. The government played a real mind game on the populace because we saw, remember, in Italy, people prone on ventilators. Who's dying in it? Remember, Italy is where all supposedly started. You know, all this. I think it scared the living daylights out of people of that generation because they were uh, elderly. Now, you know yeah. what I mean, yeah. and 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 they bought into doing what was right to save the older generation, because that's how the whole COVID narrative was. You know, we have to save the great generation, the older generation. If you're not masked, if you're not getting vaccine, so, then you're putting them at risk. How, 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 uh, how important, how vital, how deep, how strong are your beliefs if they can be scared out of you in one day or one month? Yeah, well, the thing is that there was a very strong psyop going on with Big Pharma and the government, and uh, it was intentional to instill, uh, you know, this fear. Uh, certainly, I mean, here's another one, right? Who hasn't wasn't brought up at least in, in our time? There was we, like I said, castor oil. There there were things that are my parents used that were basic. Uh, um, even, uh, oh gosh, it was a green bottle that I can't remember what was in it. If you were bound up, you could drink it. It was like a soda. Uh, it'll come to me, but there were certain that they get over the counter that were very fundamental, like castor oil to help with whatever mm, constipation, for example, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, in other words, um, this idea that the the medical profession we were always told remember through you would hear get multiple opinions go to different doctors if you need to then who's left to decide you are yes you decide. right that whole got that whole i mean i that's why i pushed back so hard against all this i was like this is absolute brainwashing and insanity yeah. where are they coming from yeah well you and know? most of the brainwashing was making I think Jay Bhattacharya brought this up on Twitter yesterday, making uh, people believe that the that they're that they're the person next to them is a disease, is a vector of disease. That was it. It was all about that. The person next to you, your fellow man is a vector of a disease that can't be trusted. And they did that on purpose. Oh, my God. They separated 
kids, grandkids from their parents, uh, grandparents. And in other words, you can't go see grandpa, grandma, can't go to the nursing home, can't go see if you're, if you're, if you're in the hospital. No, we're going to put them on Rondesivir. We know the drug that kills people from the prior Ebola trials. Let's put them on that. So they have renal failure. You know, I mean, there was this, this was an intentional attack of malpractice. There's no other way to, this is, wasn't negligent, gross negligence. Did you, did you see the video of Fauci picking his nose and eating it? No. Yeah, a couple of days ago, it. he did something where, and, and he picks his nose and eats it. So it's been, go, people, it's been going around Twitter, and oh uh, people are saying, maybe next time, don't take advice from a doctor who picks his nose and eats it. I wonder if he's got early onset dementia. I can't imagine <laughs> anyone doing that unless they had early onset dementia as an adult. <laughs> uh, I think his dementia might have been onset about 1982, yeah. circa 1982. <laughs> Wow. Wow. It's sad. Hey, Bill, let me let you go. I want to cover one more thing and go to the phone. Oh, sure. All right. Okay. Have a good, good weekend. Okay. Yeah. Have, yeah. Oh, and it's, 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 it's coming up on uh, Sunday, Easter, Easter Sunday. I just wanted to, speaking of, this is kind of a transition into my, my next, my penultimate story of the night. Well, we'll do this story and then we'll do the film review, but talking about the fifties and how much better things were in the fifties and pre Kennedy assassination. Listen to this. This is under the category of it's sick out there and getting sicker. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's going to be a new woke TV show based on Greece. That's going to reportedly feature a new song about white supremacy with lyrics about the exclusion of those Jewish, Asian, Brown, or black single women or gay on the wrong side of they. Let me do that again. Jewish, Asian, brown, or black, single women, or gay on the wrong side of they. Greece, Rise of the Pink Ladies, is a new TV show that serves as a prequel to the original hit film that debuted in the 70s. The show is set to take place. Now, listen to this. Listen to this insanity. The show is going to take place four years before the original. Now, remember, the original was a film and a Broadway musical in the 70s, but it took place in the 50s. So this prequel is going to take place four years before the original. So guessing early to mid 50s. Okay, the Daily Mail, the, uh, but it's going to have various messages about identity politics. Its stated purpose is to explore sexual orientation, gender expression, and racial identity. The Daily Mail reported Thursday, family favorite tunes will be resung alongside new musical numbers, including one about white supremacy, while the 1950s student population at Rydell High School will be refilled with a varied mix of LGBT and black high schoolers unseen in the 1978 hit, and also unseen in any school in the 50s in this country. The family-led cast, female-led, female-led cast, of course, reportedly includes gender non-conforming, non-binary trans actor Ari Notosamoso, who plays Cynthia, described as a non-binary tomboy who struggles to fit in alongside her multicultural bandmates. Well, this sounds wonderful. The new song about white supremacy in the club animates rich white country club members out of an oil painting to sing about white supremacy. When you're in the club, we've got each other's backs. As long as you're not Jewish, Asian, brown or black, single woman or gay, on the wrong side of they, the lyric include. Boy, that that, that really has a great uh, melodic sound to it, doesn't it? Greece, Rise of the Pink Ladies, will also feature topics 
Uh, as a half Latina and half Italian student running her student body president after bullied, a Mexican-American student coping with an inappropriate relationship between herself and a teacher and more. The show started streaming April 6th, if you dare to watch this, on Paramount Plus with two episodes, with the next eight to be released. This is, this is insane. This is, listen to me. Listen to me. It's sick enough to do something like this and base it now. But they're, they're, they're basing this in the 50s, as though the students in the 50s were talking about these things concerned with these things. So this is not only inflicting this wokeness on current society. This is rewriting history and inflicting wokeness. This is like taking a back, like a back to the future, taking the machine in back to the future, Christopher Lloyd's machine, Doc's machine, taking it back to the fifties and writing this stuff and imposing it on that society and our society in the fifties. How insane is this? This is totally insane. This is part of the left's need to not only force this wokeness on us, but totally rewrite history. To set this in the 50s before the original film is just bat crap insane. Bat crap insane. Oh, my God. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. It's just going too much. It's too crazy. Oh. What are we going to do? But that will hopefully flop. My hope is that it totally flops. And I'm guessing it will because it sounds disastrous. Those lyrics are horrible. Oh, boy. Entertainment doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. Entertainment doesn't matter. Just get your woke ideology out there. Force it on people. That's all. It doesn't matter what's entertaining, what's what's fun. What's, it doesn't matter anymore. Well, none of that matters anymore. But you know what does matter? John Williams and the Boston Pops. And he's going to play me in. John, you ready? Okay. I mean, you've been sitting there for 20 minutes. So you ready to go? Okay. All right. Strike up, strike up the band, buddy. Strike up the band. John, thank you. I, pro- I won't be too long. It's only one film because a few of the films I have released in the last couple of weeks are out now, like Air. Remember, I recommended Air. Definitely go see Air. Go see How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Those are just being released now, but I reviewed them early. So, um, But there is a one film that I just, just saw a few hours ago and uh, at the great Alamo Theater here in San Francisco, the Alamo Draft House, where you can sit and drink and eat eat all day or eat all night if you want it's great it's a great deal you have to pay for it of course very expensive but uh um the film it actually really plays in to much of what we've been talking about tonight just coincidence really not intended really not intended but um it does play in to what it's called a thousand and one and if i can cue up the trailer here this is the trailer i'll play i might not play the whole thing but this is the trailer for a thousand and one Is that a nerd? I'm the prom, the weed. I thought she moved to another show. 
idea i think from the trailer it's a uh, takes place in 90s new york city and actually the backdrop is uh giuliani Ruggiani taking over as mayor it really takes place like in the early to mid 90s till about the year 2005 so it, it covers the backdrop we hear like newscasts of really giuliani talking about his policing policies and then michael bloomberg becoming mayor post 9 11 and uh so that's the backdrop of it. But it's about a woman who had just uh, gotten out of jail and uh, she rediscovers her child who she gave up to foster care when she, before she went into prison. And she tries to reconnect with the little boy and uh, she ends up taking him kind of illegally to live with her. He's, he's in state custody. He's a ward of the state, but she wants to raise him. So she takes him and she does raise him. And uh, the film goes through Three actors play the little boy. There's one that plays him like at 10 years old, one at 14, and one at 17. Three different actors. Always very tricky with this kind of thing because there needs to be continuity between the actors so you believe it's the same boy. And it, the, the acting is phenomenal. All three actors are great. And so there's absolute wonderful continuity between the three of them, which is a real tough trick. Um, and uh, she raises uh, the child. And uh, Tayana Taylor, Tayana Taylor plays the mother. And uh, the three boys are played by uh, Ariel Kings, Ariel Arundola, Avin Courtney, and Josiah Cross from six, actually from six to 17 years old. And uh, William Cartlett, uh, Catlett, sorry, plays Lucky, who is the uh, boyfriend who becomes the husband uh, of, of Ariana, uh, of Tayana Taylor. And uh, basically takes the child on as a stepfather and raises him along with her. And so the film basically is, is uh, about raising this child, this couple raising this child. They were both ex-cons and uh, they try to raise a child, uh, not making much money with the usual struggles of uh, inner city black parents in the 90s into early 2000s in New York City. Of course, with the backdrop being that this child all along really doesn't te- I mean, biologically biologically the child is hers but so she's he's a ward of the state so there's a matter of changing social security numbers changing names so the state doesn't find out that she's taken him back and tried to raise him and so it's the trials and tribulations of trying to raise this child in uh in new york city uh and 
the film has a very kind of, um, I say, more leisurely pace to it. It might turn some people off. Like I said, it basically takes place in three sections. When the boy is six, then when the boy is 13, and when the boy is 17. And uh, there are other secrets involved that the boy doesn't know, obviously, and that is held back until the end of the film. And uh, I don't want to give away, there's, a, there's kind of a twist that we don't see coming, that's unexpected. I'm not going to give away what that is, but let's just say that the film puts us on the same level as the child. So we don't know the whole truth behind the mother and what happened before she was in prison and uh, losing her child before, of course, uh, taking him back and raising him. Um, but the the film is really well shot. It's shot almost in a documentary style. And the leisurely pace really allows us to take in the drama. There's no the, there's no melodrama here. OK, uh, the acting is it, it's 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 it's, a, it's so realistic and authentic. There's an authenticity to this that really is striking um, and somewhat reminiscent of even early Spike Lee. And uh, like I say, almost a documentary style reminded me a little bit of, of films like uh, there's a kind of a long lost Robert Duvall film called Angelo, My Love, which uh, is Robert Duvall's directorial debut in 1983, which is about basically following this uh, 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 Latino family in New York City and um, also shot in documentary style. And he used actual uh, real people, non-actors. And this has the same same feel to it. It's incredibly authentic. It's incredibly honest. It doesn't it doesn't strike a false note, and it builds up builds up to a really emotionally devastating conclusion. And I think part of this because of the film's leisurely pace and allowing us to really get to know these characters, right, and and to actually care about them and empathize with them. Uh, what it is what it is for this woman, you know, out of prison to go through to try to raise a child and really try to make up for her, uh, her, her past um, <clears throat> issues, right? And the mistakes she made in her past, trying to make up for that in raising this child to be a good man. And uh, it's, it's a really just great character drama, very reminiscent of the character dramas that we saw so much in the 70s that have kind of gotten lost nowadays, right? Really character-driven, actor-driven uh, dramas. And so I, I really recommend A Thousand and One. And even the title, A Thousand and One, uh, you might be wondering why you're watching, while you're watching the film, what, why is it titled A Thousand and One? And at the end, it finally hit me why it's titled A Thousand. Even the title, um, when you finally realize what it means, has a very, very deep, meaning to it that has a lot to do with home and during the film we see a lot of this that the child just needs and wants a home and to be raised well to develop into an adult that can that can function in life and how important how important uh, being having a home having a real home and real mother and father is the children especially you know a lot of black kids who we talked about um grow up without a father figure so i i really highly recommend uh, a thousand and one. Okay, I, I highly, highly uh, recommend it. Okay, and I just want to say the director's name too. The director is A. V. Rockwell. Okay, all right. So a thousand and one. Go see it. It's playing in theaters. It's playing in theaters near you. Theaters near you.
Okay. All right. So I think that's uh, I think that's about it. John, are you still here? John, can you can you can you play me out? I really appreciate it. Okay, he's gonna play me out. He's gonna play me out. <laughs> All right. Not too much. Okay, John, have a, have a nice trip back to LA. Guys, get back safe. All right. Thank you. Thank you. See you next, see you next Friday night. All right. All right. That's a week of shows. That's a wrap. That's a wrap on the week. I hope everyone had a good, good Friday. I hope everyone has a great Easter Sunday or whatever you might, uh, you know, uh, celebrate. Uh, if not, just have a great weekend. All right. Have a great weekend. The name of the show is Unless Be Heard. It airs weeknights, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. Okay. All right. Which means I will see you back here on the other side of the weekend on Monday night. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. But until Monday night, this is Mike Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it. <laughs>